This is Jose. He's one of our elders. Give him a hand, would you? And one of the things we want to do around here is not just celebrate like my story and others that maybe came out of some really tough stuff. Jose clearly did because every one of our stories when we come from darkness and into the light is miraculous, right guys? I mean, come on. But I want to hear what's God doing lately, brother, because you've got a fresh thing going on with God. What's he showing you? Amen. He's showing me about puzzles. Of all things, puzzles. All right. There's more to this. Yes, it is. But within the concept of the corporate gathering of the church of Jesus Christ, and we have a puzzle at home. And have you ever had a puzzle that's missing a piece? And it's like, man, there's, there's something missing in that We spent all that time building that thing, and it's, one piece is gone. Exactly. One piece is gone. So God has been showing me that it is more for us than just say we're going to church on Sunday or we're going to home groups throughout the week. It is so vital as that missing piece of a puzzle that you are to the body of Christ and the corporateness and the gathering of the ecclesia, which is the church of Jesus Christ. And it's not like I have to go to church. It's I am that piece of puzzle. Yeah, that's right on. That cannot be missed within that puzzle itself because it is the gathering of the body of Christ. So when we meet in homes, I don't even like to use the word homes, home groups, because it is the church that meets on the north side, the church that meets at Pastor Carl's house, yeah. at my house, at your house. That's what God is showing me, is that when we gather together, we assemble the body of Christ, and it is vitally important that you are a part of that. Yeah, that's a great word. And there's some of you sitting here today, and I, I really mean this. Maybe you're online watching. And you've wondered if you ever have fit anywhere. When you were in your mom's womb, God designed you to fit right here. I promise you that. There's no odd pieces. Well, there are. I'm one of those. But there are some. <laughs> there's no real odd pieces as in no one fits in the body of Christ. And we're just pumped that you're here today. Thank you. I love you, brother. Give this brother a hand, would you? All right. Well, today we are in Unshaken Part 2. We're jumping in the book of Daniel, guys. Boy, it's tough to get you rallied back together. There's a little bit of adrenaline pumping in this room here. I want to get, begin this message today just by saying how many of you would agree that sometimes dreams are strange things. One of the scariest times I ever dreamed and did sleepwalking, and I did it multiple times when I was a young man growing up, was uh, my dad and I were building our home just outside of Anchorage, Alaska, and we had gotten everything framed up, but we had neglected to put all the, we hadn't yet, not neglected to, but we hadn't yet gotten all the railings on the decks. Problem is, my room was at the very peak of a 12-12 pitch roof, and that's about three and a half stories in the air. And so my dad, in the middle of the night, one night, heard this sound, which is the dreaded sound of a sliding glass door. This might be a little bit hot in here. You monitor that thing for me. And when he uh, heard the sliding glass door open up, Dad immediately in his mind thought, oh my goodness, we don't have any railings on that deck that Carl's walking out onto that's three and a half stories in the air. And my dad tells me that he jumped out of bed and he said, I did one leap to like the foot of the stairs and then Carl, he said, I, I 
probably had three steps on a huge flight of stairs. I was in, up on the third level, flew through your room, and Carl, there you were standing out there in your skivvies going, huh, just standing out on the deck about two feet from taking a big old plunge. Dreams are crazy things. When you dream, you often dream as a result of a lot of adrenaline and a lot of stimuli, things that are going on in your life. So one of my greatest seasons of dreaming was always when I came back from commercial fishing. I spent eight years fishing on the west coast of Alaska for salmon. And I would come back and I would have crazy dreams. But most often I dreamed those dreams and woke up in the middle of the night just going, and find myself clawing at the walls, but I was alone. So I'm a newlywed, and I go to Alaska, and I go fishing. We have one of the roughest seasons ever, and you're always on high alert. Huge seas, water coming in over the stern. I mean, it's just constant madness, 24-7. So I come back home. I'm like two days off the fishing grounds, and I about scare my bride half to death, man. One night, I, um, at about 2 o'clock in the morning, she said all she heard was, there's thousands of jumpers. There's thousands of jumpers. And jumpers are salmon that are jumping up out of the ocean. And I'm standing there in my skivvies behind a curtain at my mom and dad's home, two days being off the ocean. And I'm looking out over the lake that we're looking at, and in my dreaming mind, I'm seeing these little white caps as thousands of salmon jumping out. And I'm yelling, there's thousands of jumpers. There's thousands of jumpers. And my wife's like, Bob, Bob, what's the matter? What's the matter? Well, I'm a grown man now. And she wakes me out of this stupor, and I felt so embarrassed. That walk of shame of about six feet, like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, sorry your husband's a total freak show when he has these dreams in his head but that wasn't enough for me the next the very next night middle of the night I don't know how this happened I'm dreaming about huge waves or something and my bride awakes to me there standing in my skivvies yet again this time on the bed her here with her body going this way me straddling her like this and I am steering the picture on the wall I am doing this number. And I'm like, and my bride's going, Bob, Bob, what's going on? Do you know how embarrassing it is to be a grown man holding on to a picture, standing, straddling your wife in your skivvies in the middle of it? And it's horrible. But I've had dreams where God was getting my attention too. Big ones. Dreams are interesting things. You know that in Acts 2... We find this, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Now I want to be really clear about this one. There's a lot of discussion about whether or not some of the miraculous gifts like miracles and healing and tongues have ceased for today and those kind of discussions. I don't even want to get into that. I do believe, and I think most theologians would agree, that although you might be what you'd call a cessationist, some of those things have ceased in this moment today, you cannot ignore the fact that God is speaking through dreams and visions all over the world today. You cannot ignore it. 
And I believe you are on solid biblical ground to understand that when we are awoken in the night with dreams, we need to pay attention to what God might be saying to us. Now, be clear. I believe dreams that God uses today, and and I'm going to share this with you in this message today, are used for prompting, reminding, convicting, but never superseding God's word. So this is the word, and never is he going to add to or going to diminish or supersede this. He's always going to confirm this word in our lives. So today we're going into an interesting passage of Scripture. I've never studied in probably at least three years more diligently for a message than this one. And I'm sorry to say that I can only share about 10% of everything that I've learned, but I've tried to get it to be the meatiest 10%, and I'm going to do the best I can of wading through it. But today I want to talk about living the dream. You talk about living the dream all the time. Many of you say, live in the dream. Do you mean it? In part two of Unshaken, we're going to see a prophetic dream that gives Daniel supernatural foresight. This is one of the most interesting passages. And if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it to Daniel 2. If you've got it on the phone, open it up. We're going to have it on the screen. But it's going to be a lot of text, and it's going to be small print. We won't go to it yet, guys. Just keep that text down for right now. It's uh, supernatural foresight. And he got his foresight, and he got this foresight in such a miraculous, powerful way that theologians today have said it's one of the greatest prophecies ever told, and it is amazing. The dateline is probably 607 B.C. or thereabout. He's exiled off to the land of Babylon. He came from the fall, and this is very important. Daniel, I want to remind you again as a contemporary of Josiah, my favorite king. So Daniel would have been about 13 years old. He would have been radically impacted by Josiah. Josiah was a radical Jesus follower before Jesus came. Yeah, he was a man of faith. And he was a man that was so surrendered to God that it would have been a real dividing line that many of those in that nation would have followed him and some would have rebelled and even his own boy Jehoiakim rebelled and therefore they were hauled off to Babylon. But here remained Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Asariah or Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, right? And these guys are left behind and they are some of the few that I believe still had the spirit of Josiah all over them and they're exiled And you might think, how far is it if you go to Israel? And by the way, we're going to take a tour there for anybody that wants to go. How's this for a subtle announcement? Next January 4th, we're going to Israel. So the question is, how far? didn't mean to derail the message right there, but there you go. Um, How far was the exile? Probably about 900 miles. And you might think about this, because some some of you might be thinking, oh, if you're exiled from Jerusalem, you go to Babylon, which is an ancient city, that is exactly 50 miles due south of Baghdad. Okay, you might think, oh my goodness, um, that would have been quite a jaunt. You might say it could have taken a week to walk there, two weeks or three weeks or four weeks or five weeks. It took Ezra four months to come out of exile back to Jerusalem. Even on on a real speed mission, it probably wouldn't have been a two-month journey. This was a long haul. When they took these guys captive, they took them captive. It's a long move, but Daniel was chosen. Why was he chosen? I said it last week. He was a spiritual beefcake, man. He was a good-looking guy. He was a a man's man. He was full of wisdom. Very learned guy. 
he obviously feared the Lord, and God obviously gave him a big promotion. And then in chapter 2, I want to tell you a story that begins, Nebuchadnezzar gets a dream, and it doesn't scare his wife like I scared mine half to death. It scares him, and he's freaking out. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar, some might dumb down whether or not he was a ruthless guy or not. Make no mistake about it. This guy was brutal. He called in all the sorcerers, the magician, necromancers, all the Chaldeans. He called them all in and said, boys, listen up. I had a dream, and I need someone to interpret it because, this is what the text says, it's causing me not to sleep. In other words, he was bothered by it. Ever been bothered by a dream? You wake up and you go, wow, I don't know if I can sleep much. Nebuchadnezzar had a bad one. And this was so bad that he didn't want his magicians and soothsayers trying to pull one past him. This is amazing. He said to them, I need you to interpret the dream for me. And so the magicians and soothsayers said, Nebuchadnezzar, great idea. We will do that for you. Tell us what the dream was and we'll tell you what it means. And he said, no. Stakes have now been raised. I'm not going to tell you what the dream was. You tell me what the dream was and you interpret it. Uh oh <laughs> Now I want to tell you something. As a pastor and you come up to me and you ask me, Carl, I had a dream last night. And you tell me, I'm wondering if you could give me an interpretation. I might give it a shot if I hear what you dream. But if you ask me, but you got to tell me what I dreamed, I'm out. I'm not doing it. This is an amazing watershed moment because this is what Nebuchadnezzar said. Was this guy ruthless? This is what he said. He said, if you cannot tell me what was in the dream and thereby interpret it, I will tear you limb from limb, every one of you, and I will crush your houses, your household. You know what that means? All your living family will be murdered. We will stamp out any recognition of you in this land. Babylon was brutal. That whole land, everything that goes on over there, all the beheadings and all that. For many, many millennia now, there's been a horrendous killing spirit. And I'm not trying to degrade any people group. I'm just sharing a reality of history. This has been dangerous land for a long time. King Nebuchadnezzar was a brutal dude. Arioch, the chief of the guards, goes and grabs Daniel. He said, come on, boys, we're going to kill you today. True story. Daniel didn't even get a chance to hear what's going on. And he's probably walking with Arioch going, hey, what, what's happening here? What do you mean we're getting killed today? Arioch says, well, uh, the king said you got to be able to tell him the dream, and nobody's telling him the dream, and so we're just going to kill all y'all. You're all dead. The text says that Daniel, remember what I said last week about showing real kindness and mercy in the face of no matter who a person may be? He showed class and prudence, the text says. Really classy dude, probably 18 years old, young guy. And he said, hey, what's the chance we get a chance to hear this and then go back and try to sort it all out? You know what happened? He said, all right, I'm going to do that. King Nebuchadnezzar gave Daniel a shot at this dream. 
We pick up the storyline in verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he told them to seek mercy from God of heaven. Don't you think he told them with a little urgency? Concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Now, let me just say this. In a vision of the night, you might wonder what's going on here. This is a dream. I've had one that I've had in my life, and I'm going to tell you about it in this service today. I've had one of these dreams in the night that could be called a vision. It was like, I'll save it for you, but it was like this. I've had one. So Daniel, in a vision of the night, he got this vision. He knew what was happening. Look at this. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. This is super important. Do you know how many times we ask for something from God and then we never thank him for it when we get it? Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of the God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Verse 24. Therefore Daniel, therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, watch this, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Look at who he's looking out for. He could have said, kill them all but me. I've got the answer, kill them all but me. Daniel didn't do that. We're going to get into super shoe leather practical stuff out of this book, but hang on. This guy gives me chills, this guy Daniel. Bring me in before the king and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen in its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, watch this again, huge hint on the character of Daniel. Look at this. No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers could show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God. Woo! But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. So oftentimes we get prophecies from God about latter days. This is it. This is a prophecy about what's going to happen in latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me. Oh. Now, 
not because of any wisdom that I have. Did you see this again? Not of any wisdom that I have. More than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king, that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Wow. The deck is set, and we're seeing the character of Daniel big time, and I'm going to get into practical things later, but now I want to go right to the dream, and I want you to take a look at this slide. I want you to watch the slide as I give you the text, and I'm going to read it. Just keep your eyes fixed on this slide. Daniel spoke to him. I mean, how could he know this except for God? You saw, O king, and behold, the great image. This image mighty and of exceeding brightness stood before you and its appearance was frightening the head of this image was of fine gold its chest and arms of silver its middle and thighs of bronze its legs of iron its feet partly of iron and partly of clay as you looked a strong stone was cut out by no human hand and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. The only thing that is not on this image is this stone not carved by human hands. This stone, untouched by human hands, and this stone became a stumbling block to many, and his name is Jesus. The prophecy here is immense. Daniel's ability to look into the future and see what would be is profound. If you just had this prophecy out of the Scripture and this alone, this would be reason enough to follow the Son of God. This is powerful. So you might say, well, Pastor Carl, what in the world is with the gold and silver and bronze? I just watched a little bit of the Olympics, and I know about that, but what's going on here? Gold, silver, bronze, iron, iron mixed with clay, and ten toes, and then a stone that comes and crushes it all. What in the world is going on here? So he explains, verse 36 is going to jump up on the screen and following. He goes on. He says, this was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given Wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of heaven, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. What did he say? He said, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the man right now. Verse 39. Another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you. I've always wondered about that little verse. I wonder if because... It's the Medo-Persians that came along. But I'm always wondering if Daniel said, hey God, let me throw him a bone by saying the next one that's coming is lesser than you. Let me just throw him a bone. He might still want some heads around here. 
After another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. So you've got Babylon, you've got Persia, you've got Greece for sure. Almost all theologians agree that this is the Greco Empire. Verse 40, and there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron. This is Rome for sure. This goes not only B.C., but to probably 437 A.D. And there shall be a fourth kingdom strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things, and like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. And you might ask, well, what is this, and what do you believe it to be? There's many different theologians, but there's about two different primary camps of thought that we have on this one. One is that this is a sign of the dispersed empires before the coming of Christ, and that the stone that came was the Messiah coming to earth. I don't think that's the best take on this one, and we'll get into practically why, but here's the point. The point is, I believe that these ten toes signify the kingdoms of the world post-Roman Empire that we live in today. I believe it signifies the dispersion of people, the, the rise of knowledge, the connectedness of the world. Although we may be ten toes, we have never been so connected. We know right now if Putin's moving on Ukraine. We got images of everything going on. My bride and our daughter were in China. They got cameras everywhere. We have them almost everywhere. You can't move in this world without being seen. I'm going to read on here a little bit. Verse 42. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with the soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings of God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall be forever and stand forever, just as you saw that cone, stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. This rock carved not by hands, human hands is undoubtedly the Messiah. There are only two positions that people have on this issue of the rock. Only two. One is, is this when Jesus came to earth or is this when he's coming back again? And I want to tell you, I did some deep diving on this and I called three theologian friends. I called Jim Coakley, I called Michael Rydelnik, and I called uh, another friend in Southern Cal. And let me just tell you right now, I have come to the conclusion that because of what we're going to find later on in this chapter about the four horns, and I'll get to that later, and all these other cool prophecies, I think what we have here is 
As Jesus said to Peter, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will prevail. When Jesus came, he put the rock in motion. But the full force of the rock that will break the statue of all of these metals will fully come when Messiah returns to take us home. Did Jesus know about this prophecy? In Matthew 21, 44, he says, And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. So you might want to ask the question, well, what's the big idea here? And let me give it to you. We aren't even to our point yet. Make sure you're on the rock of Christ and not building your own kingdom when the king comes. There is no kingdom that's going to survive on this earth. The only kingdom that's going to survive is the one who came lowly and in a manger, and his name is Jesus, and he gave his life. And guess what? Although many discount him, the monetary system, the calendar, orphanages, the list goes on and on, all have their birthplace from this Jewish carpenter who died on a cross. They all come from him. He's an awesome conquering God. Yes, cheer for that, man. The story wraps up this way in Daniel 2, 46 through 49, and then we're going to make it really practical, and I mean really practical. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel. What? And commanded that, the off, that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of lords and Lord, Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon who were still alive because Daniel said don't kill these dummies verse 49 Daniel made a request to the king and he appointed Shadrach Meshach and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon but Daniel remained in the king's court I want to make this really practical and I want you to listen to my heart on this because if this is just some little theological treatise about kingdoms of the world and when they're going to rise and when they're going to fall and what's going to happen then we've missed the whole deal because all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for you to be trained up in righteousness that you are thoroughly equipped for every good work God wants you to be so the question is what do we learn from Daniel in this text and I want to give you three things that stand out like huge, and a couple of them are tough. First, how to live the dream. Here it is. When the glory of God is your singular goal, the supernatural can unfold. I need you to hear me. When you go throughout life and your singular goal is the glory of God, you want to point to Him, you want to say praise to your name, you want to turn people on to God because you've been so rocked by his grace and mercy and power and his teachings in your life. And yes, keep this up here for a little bit. we got people writing it down. When the glory of God is your singular goal, the supernatural can unfold. 
Can I tell you? Can I tell you why churches that are on fire in one season fall flat on their face in another season? Can I tell you why there's such church pain throughout Chicagoland right now? I'm about to tell you exactly why, and it comes right out of this text. Because here's what happens. Whether it's pastors or a power takeover or people in the pew, when the preacher or the church becomes a bigger brand than Jesus, God's glory is going out the door. Guys, I, I promise you this right now. I promise you this. When we make a bigger deal about a brand rather than the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, we are setting ourselves up to see the very blessings that came from Him evaporate. And I know we sometimes look around churches that have crashed in Chicagoland and we go, man, that preacher, hey, what about the people that worshipped him as a deity? Daniel teaches us that when we never touch the glory, but we give him singular praise, I believe this. You ready for this? I believe supernatural doors are kicked open by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm t I promise you that. I'm looking at a friend right here, Dennis Farina. He's going to be heading up. He is already heading up all of Teen Challenge for Chicagoland. He's an awesome dude. He's a member of 180. Great dude. I'm going to tell you right now, I can tell you this. I can tell you that the blessing of Teen Challenge across Chicagoland is going to be equal to, and Dennis, I say this for you because I know that you're a man like this, the less Dennis attaches his name to anything that's going on and the more he points to God, the more the glory of God will be revealed and the doors will be opened up. It happens all the time. And so what am I saying here? Um, you should kind of discount or disrespect your preacher. No. <laughs> what I'm saying... And Jose, that's, that's great. He goes like that. That's, that's, that's my good elder brother right there. Wow. We're going to go out behind the barn today. I might lose, but I'm going to get in a lick or two. No, here's the deal. I need you to hear my heart. You need to honor and respect your elders. Yeah. But don't worship them. We worship God. Daniel was a man that wouldn't touch the glory. Every opportunity he got, he pointed to God. You know what you want to do when you get a compliment about being used of God? Go two things. One is, thank you. That's a great thing to say. Thank you isn't God good because I'm telling you, we've been something that there is no way in the world this would happen in my strength. So I want to ask you, God has given you position and possessions. Are you giving God glory for all of it? Don't let the glory stick to your fingers, man. 
He gave it to you. He made it happen. Give him glory for it. No matter what position you get to, no matter what possessions you have, don't begin to think late at night, I'm all that in a bag of chips. Don't think that way, man. And, and some of you are thinking wrongly. You're thinking, oh, Carl, yeah, you're right, boy. God gets the glory, and boy, I'm never going to touch the glory. No. Give God the glory, but sit in the front row and soak up the joy of being used by him. Radical difference. Second point, how to live the dream. When you're invited to speak truth, never let the fear of man hold you back. Now, I want to give you a passage of Scripture, and I'm going to read it to you really quickly. Listen to me close, because a lot of you are like, Carl, if, you're, if I'm honest with you, I get freaked out if somebody asks me, tell me about why you go to church. Oh, it's like, oh, dear God, please don't let anyone ask me that. Or tell me, you say you're a Christian, what's that mean to you? Or how do you know Jesus was real? Some of you are like, your prayer going out of the home or into a situation like that is, God, let them ask someone else that, but not me. And I understand that. I was on this, remember I was on this uh, cool little YouTube interview from this atheist and I saw it, it's posted up there. It's called What They Believe, if you want to go look at my YouTube clip from this guy. And he's an atheist who was interviewing different guys from different faith walks. And he hit me with, and Franklin, if you see this, no problem, dude. I would have done the same to you. But he hit me with uh, one question out of the blue, because good questioners do that. And at first I'm like, oh man. And then I'm like, no. I need you to hear me. Don't fear speaking the truth when invited to do it. Why? Because I'm convinced that God will give you what to say. Pastor Carl, are those just good words? No, they aren't just good words. Listen to what we find in Luke 12, verse 8. And I tell you, Jesus is speaking. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Some preachers use that to beat you up. Don't ever let me do that to you. This is not about, you better suck it up. You better have a word to say. Haven't you heard it preached that way? If you deny me, he's going to deny you. Boom, boom, boom. That ain't what that means at all. It goes on. And everyone who speaks the words against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And then verse 11. Is this a radical shift in thought? No, it's an illustration of those who hunger to say the right things and to be the person when you're called to be. And this is what Jesus said. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. How amazing is this? I need you to hear me. There's the one caveat I have to this. Because the primary role of the Holy Spirit is to guide us into all truth. 
The more you get in God's Word and get God's Word into you, the better chance that the Holy Spirit can remind you of something because He can't remind you of something that's not there. So we got to get in the Word for the purpose of letting the Holy Spirit remind us. So get in the Word and then go, Holy Spirit, I'm banking on you reminding me of this one. And He will. Third thing I want to give you. When God gives you a big promotion, take those who helped you with you. I need you to hear me. When God gives you a promotion, make sure that your friends get drug along for the ride. That's exactly what Daniel does. He doesn't take his little promotion and all of a sudden forget about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What does he do? He remembers them. And he says, King Nebuchadnezzar, these are my buddies. When you put that dream in front of me, I didn't know what to do. I went back to my house. I sat down with my three buddies. These are great dudes, Neb. And I asked them for help on this, and we got on our knees before a holy God. And I, like I told you, God answered. But those brothers were on their knees with me. King Neb, can I bring Oh, of course you can bring them along. I don't know what bringing them along looks like. But I want to give you a little example of this. I was praying for a dear friend who had a business that was about to go under. I mean, it was two weeks from going under. I mean, this close to just going under. And I'm sitting in Tustin, California on a sunny deck, and I remember crying out to God on a cell phone, God, in the name of Jesus, my buddy Mark, he doesn't want to lose this thing. Oh God, you know his heart and he's a righteous man. I'm asking in the name of Jesus that you will come through and show yourself mighty here. Mark's heart was to not let 70-some employees go and to lose everything. Not only did God answer that prayer, God prospered that company. And he prospered that company so much and my buddy Mark sold that company some years later, just a few years later, for money that we could have never imagined he'd sell it for. And I was at home rejoicing. My wife and I were pumped up. And I'm not going to tell you what it was, but we get a letter in the mail one day, and it's from Mark. And he said, I just want you to know how thankful I am that you went before the throne room of God on my behalf and here's a check just to say thank you. And I already checked with the IRS. You don't have to pay anything on this. Just go use it to the glory of God. And it wasn't a huge amount of money, but it was a good chunk amount of money. And you know what he did? Our buddy Mark, when he got blessed by God, he remembered Carl praying with him in Tustin, California. Never forget who's been praying with you. Never forget who's been believing God for great things for you. Never forget your mom and dad. Never forget, never forget, never forget. Well, I had a strange dream one night many years ago. I told you I was going to tell you about this crazy dream, so here we go. I was minding my own business, middle of the night in Little Rock, Arkansas, and I'm laying there in bed, and as I'm laying there, 
I'm all of a sudden awakened by something. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? And I wake up, but I'm not awake. But I mean, I was awake, but I mean, I was sound asleep. Some of you are like, what are you saying? I'm saying I had a vision. I did. No one can steal this one from me. I lay there, and I'm looking around. I'm like, what is happening? And then I am standing outside the bed, and I look down, and I'm looking at myself. You might be saying, this is weird. Hey, Jesus is showing up to Muslims all over the 1040 window in the middle of the night all the time right now. He can at least show up to one crazy kid in Little Rock, Arkansas in a sweaty middle of the night. And so I'm standing there, and I'm looking down, but I'm not standing. It's the weirdest thing in the world, and I wasn't terrified, but I'm like, I'm awake, but I'm asleep, and I'm standing outside the bed, and then this is what's happening. I look down. My feet are not on the floor, but I'm wide awake, and I am out of bed, but Carl's still in bed. And I'm leaning forward, and as I'm leaning forward like this, I'm leaning forward at a point where I can't, I, I'd have to fall. And I'm leaning forward, and I'm off the ground like six inches, and I'm like, this is like a spiritual hovercraft. No joking, I'm off the ground, and some of you are thinking, this is crazy. I thought so too. It was weird. And I'm standing off the ground, and I'm leaning forward, and we had just been in this season of prayer about what God was doing in the single adult ministry, and he was beginning to blow it up big time. And we had been praying fervently for God to give us some breakthrough, and he started giving us breakthrough and all I remember is I was standing there forward, should have been falling on my face, and I'm like forward off the ground looking down, and there's Carl sound asleep. And boom, I went back to sleep. And I woke up the next morning, and I felt like the Lord told me, let me carry you in this ministry. You lean into me and we're going to go do some cool stuff. And I believe it to this very day. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that in this room there will be men and women together committed to experiencing and tasting your power and presence. God, that we won't touch the glory. God, that we'll speak the truth and be ready to when we're invited to and that we'll trust you to do everything we need to say that it, you'll prompt us. And God, when you give us big promotions, help us take those along with us who got us there. And I give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.